Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today's guest is Jennifer Anderson. Jennifer is a registered dietitian and has a master's of science in public health from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. In 2017, she founded Kids Eat in Color, a resource that helps children and families have better nutrition and mental health. Prior to starting Kids Eat in Color, she coordinated youth programs at a food bank, performed research in inner city food deserts, and consulted for the USDA National Office SNAP-Ed program. Her academic background is in public health nutrition, cultural anthropology, and economics. In this episode, Jennifer and I discuss what we should be feeding our kids when trying to provide them with a nutritious meal, how much we should realistically expect them to eat, how to talk to your children about food that can help educate them rather than just saying it's good for you, which we all fall victim to, and tips for getting your children to eat more vegetables and creating less dinner stress, which I think we all need. As a new mom, I feel so much more prepared after talking to Jennifer about what I should realistically expect and aim for when feeding my own children as they get older. I also love talking to a fellow dietitian who has a nutrition background to know what nutrients are truly important for our children as they grow. Jennifer, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on. I was just telling you, I have an eight month old, so obviously I'm very excited for this recording a little selfishly. Um, but I'd love for you to just start with telling our listeners a little bit more about your story and the how and why behind kids eating color. Sure. Well, thanks so much, Kate. Um, when I had my first son about when he was your child's age, I took him into the pediatrician and he had been gaining weight really well. And all of a sudden the pediatrician was like, he's not gaining weight. And I was shocked. And I thought, oh my gosh, what is, what is going wrong? And that was really the start of many years of frustration. How do I help keep my son on the growth chart? How do I make sure he's getting food that he needs enough to grow? All those things. And then when I had my second son, he was a picky eater. And between the two of them, I became somewhat of a specialist in child feeding and child nutrition. And um, when my first son was three, I thought, you know, I can't be the only parent struggling with feeding my child. And it turns out, no, I wasn't. I started an Instagram account. And next thing you know, it was kids in color. And there are millions of families around the world who are struggling feeding their kids. Yeah. And did you find for you, Jennifer, in the beginning, was it like a lot of like trial and error because not only did you have to figure out what foods were going to help them meet that growth curve, but also, I mean, we know they decide what they're going to put in their mouths right. as much as like, we can try and make the most nutritious meal for them. They're really going to dictate that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and something that parents don't often consider is their own capacity. Um, we can know the perfect thing about nutrition, but unless we have the capacity to actually make the food and be there for our kids and help them eat it and do all these things, our kids can't necessarily, you know, like we can't necessarily fulfill those recommendations. And how do we navigate that? Yeah. So what did you find, right? Starting all those years ago to now for whether it's a new parent or someone who feels like they've just been banging their head against the wall, um, with their, you know, their child, maybe honestly, since they started eating, 
what should our kids be eating if our goal is to provide them the most nutritious meals, but also with that realistic sense of, you know, if they're refusing it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if your child is refusing food, then you're going to have to be flexible. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, when, when my son was not getting enough calories because he couldn't eat enough food, I had to liberalize his diet in a way that I had never anticipated. I started giving him lots of ketchup. And, you know, as a dietitian before I had kids, I was like, oh my gosh, my kid's never going to have added sugar and (laughs) I'm going to feed him this perfect. They're going to eat tons and tons of fruits and vegetables and blah, blah, blah. Right. And um, I had to be flexible. I had to add more added sugars into his diet because guess what? Added sugars have a lot of calories. And when you have a, there's only so much fat you can add into food before they won't eat it. And so there are all these strategies out there for helping kids who aren't getting enough calories, get them. And a lot of them involve sugar, which I had to really change my mindset around that in order to meet my child where he was at. If you have a selective eater, it's the same thing. If your child cannot eat the foods for whatever reason, that you're making, you may have to be more flexible. At the same time, maybe you don't have that pig, that picky of an eater. Maybe your child is just what I like to call typically picky. You can find variety within what works for your family and what your goals are for your child. So sometimes you have to meet your child where they're at. Sometimes you just have to say, this is a boundary, you know, I'm not going to not going to have X, Y, Z in my house. I'm not going to serve, you know, whatever it is. And it's okay to set those boundaries as well. Um, But I find what bridges the two is really the parenting, you know, are you skilled at saying it's my job to choose what food is served? You know, it's really your job as a parent to do that. Um, So I'm curious for, this would be real nice before the parent whose child, like ideally is pretty open to most foods. And they're just wondering like one, where do I start when I first feeding, you know, when I'm first feeding my kids food. And then once they get into a toddler age, what should their plate look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you're thinking about what is the first foods that you're going to feed your child, you may kind of have it in your head, oh, I'm going to start with rice cereal and I'm going to move them along the line and I'm going to give them pureed vegetables. And then there are all sorts of myths, old advice out there, and parents are really confused. What the current recommendation is, is to start with highly nutritious, highly protein-rich foods that have iron in them. And interestingly, those are meats their beans, their tofu, their eggs, all those foods that you were, you would have heard, you know, 20 years ago. Oh, I, I should wait to feed my child those things. No, those are the foods that you can start with. You can start with table foods. You can start with purees. There's lots of different ways to feed your child, but the most important at this phase and by the recommendations that we have are that they're getting those um, high protein, high iron, high zinc foods. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate because I feel like where a lot of also the rice cereal recommendation comes from is people's pediatrician. They're like, well, have you started them on rice cereal yet? 
Right. Like, oh, okay. And there are, I mean, right. Like, especially with kids and especially your first, people are very much rule followers because they don't want to mess anything up, but it makes sense. And so I do wish, and I'm hoping like as the years come, pediatricians will be more educated on that, but that's like, I feel like a lot where it's coming from and not everyone can have a background like we do in nutrition. And like, yeah, I mean, my son's first food was egg yolks and he loved it, but I also was feeding him egg yolks just purely for the nutrition factor. Luckily he ate it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also Jennifer make this and I just post a reel for it. And I'm like, I wonder how many people are make it, but I knew like liver would be really supportive for him. Mm -hmm. Um, but like you were saying the capacity and like, who's going to have the time, which in reality, it doesn't take that long, but it is like, you have to go to the store, you have to buy the liver and I'll put, add like sweet potato and a vegetable in it. And then you have to cook it and then put it on a blender. And I make a ton so I can freeze it. And I'd only have to do it every couple months, but if I didn't have my background in nutrition, I would have no idea that the possibility of giving him liver or even that a meat could puree down that much. Cause mm-hmm. I see that's a big disconnect too. Like, wait, how am I supposed to give him meat if I'm giving him purees and I'm not doing, you know, baby led weaning right now, or like, it's just not safe for him to have pieces of chicken yet or things like that. And it's like, you can puree it down, just add a little stock. And if you want to make it even easier on yourself, make it, you know, a little complete meal and add that veggie in. And if you want to add some starch, but it's really hard to just know on your own where to start. And like, I mean, I was even, um, it was so daunting thinking about having on top of everything, especially, I mean, I feel like I always say this, I feel like postpartum is your first year or two, Yeah. (laughs) but on top of it, having to then make food and you have this weight on your chest of like, it has to be good for my baby. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's really tough to navigate. And one thing I love that you talk about is going from maybe your baby is eating a lot of food, but then once they get in toddlerhood, it can actually, their plate can be a much smaller in their amount of food. So can you talk a little bit about that and that transition? No babies triple in size in their first year. That's a lot. I mean, if you think about if you grew, you know, three times your current size, um, that would be a lot. So then they go down to a couple inches, right? So this is a huge disconnect. It takes a lot of energy to go from I'm very small to I'm very large in a year. And, you know, a lot of that is coming from breast milk or formula, but as they get older, they're just going to, they, they may or may not need as much food as they had, you know, lots of, lots of babies do continue to eat or, or, you know, toddlers. I think of them all as babies at this point, (laughs) but you know, lots of toddlers continue to have that um, need for about the same amount of food, but lots of them do not. And you are going to be as a parent, especially a first-time parent, or if you had a first child who didn't have a decrease in appetite, I know you do have one, you will feel your chest constrict when you see your child eat one bite of food for a meal. And you're going to wonder what's wrong. Is my child sick? Do they, you know, is there something going on? Um, of course, if you have a concern, talking to your pediatrician can be a good starting place. Um, but it can also be totally normal. 
in more instances than not, it is going to be totally normal and you've entered into a new phase. Sometimes I have parents say, when is this phase going to end? And that's, it's not, it's not, this is your new normal. This is the new reality. You, it is your job now to adjust yourself and to say, okay, my child is going to decide how much they're going to eat. And sometimes that's going to be uncomfortable for me. And sometimes I'm going to be really excited, but it's their win when they decide to eat a lot or a little. It's my job. It's my win when I put the food on the table or the high chair tray. Yeah. And so what would you say then, Jennifer, like what would be ideal to have on that table for a toddler? I know we're talking about like first foods for babies. Obviously Mm -hmm. we still want to keep like some protein rich foods, but what at least do we want to offer them each time? And then they dictate how much they're going to eat. Sure. So I like to think of a balanced plate. I know, um, you know, this can, there are a lot of parents who really want to dig down and the variety and the nutrients and all that. Some parents want to do that. That is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But for most parents, I find they're like, I have a job, I have a baby, I have a dog, I have a, you know, a place that I, you know, a bathroom to clean. I have this, you know, this huge, this life. And now I've got a baby and I'm supposed to feed her. Now I got a toddler. I'm trying to keep him from running into the street. Like I don't have a second, right? And now I'm supposed to think about nutrition. It's too much. So I like to have just a little formula in my mind. I want to have a protein food. I want to have what I call an energy food. Of course, all food has energy, but um, you know, a grain or a starchy vegetable, and then I want to have some color. I think I, you know, what I think of as an ideal, which is not everybody's world that they're living in, is you know, a fruit and a vegetable at every meal and snack for toddlers. Every eating opportunity is a meal. They might eat one bite of food at dinner, so you're going to want to serve a meal at breakfast. They might eat one bite at breakfast, but then they're hungry for their morning snack. So you want to think of all meals and snacks as eating opportunities. Then you want to see that protein food. You want to see that, that, that those fruits and vegetables, and then you want to see those starchy foods. Um, And then I also like to remind parents that little kids, like the little, little babies and kids, they need fat. They really need fat. It's so important. So add that oil, add that butter, whatever you're, you know, add that nut butter, um, of course, thinly spread or, you know, mixed into something, Uh, but add those oils, add that fat because your child needs it. They need the energy. They need it for their brain development, all those things. Don't buy low fat dairy, buy full fat dairy. You know, if your child is drinking milk, buy whole milk. And this is just, this is important. So I also think of like, in addition to that, make sure you've got some fat in that meal. Yeah, no, we've been big proponents of, um, I'll mix like coconut oil into actually this morning, he just had sweet potatoes. And it's so funny because we're making certain foods for him and we're like, oh, this combination's delicious. Mm -hmm. And then we'll just make a ton for ourselves too. And that's our, I'm curious, what's your stance, Jennifer, on like making one meal for the whole family. And that's the meal offered right to your children, or are we making separate meals if they're not liking or eating what's on the table? 
Yeah. So going back to the toddler appetite, they're going to eat one bite of certain meals and you will probably think to yourself, they don't like it. But the reality is they may like it just fine, but you, they're not hungry. And so as a parent, we kind of assume some things of our toddlers that really um, come back to bite us in the end, right? And so suddenly we have stopped serving peas to our toddler because we think they didn't like it or they refused it once or they refused it twice. And you're thinking, well, I've I've already served it to them and they don't like it, so I'm not going to serve it again. The problem with that is if they never see it, they're never going to eat it, right? They literally can't eat it because it's not there. And as adults, though, we might might want to eat those peas. So when we think of a meal and we make a balanced meal and it's for the family and we put it in front of our child and we make it child-friendly in terms of being able to take the different parts out and making sure it's not a choking hazard and overcooking things for yourself and the child for like two years, you know. Um, everybody's going to have to be a little bit flexible here. You're going to have to be flexible in the texture. Your child's going to have to be flexible and then they're not going to get chicken nuggets every night. And you can establish, we make one meal for our family. I have a lot of parents say, well, when does this start? You setting the boundaries and you providing the meal and you letting your child decide whether to eat that starts as soon as they have their first bite. And of course, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've totally messed up. I have a three-year-old. We've never done that. It's totally fine. You have not scarred your child or anything like that, right? Um, But it can start that early. And of course, you can start it later as well. But you don't have to think of yourself as a short order cook. As soon as you begin to have that understanding, it's going to be hard. Now, if you have a really picky child, making one meal for the family becomes more complicated because again, you're going to have to meet your child where they're at. And if they're only eating five foods, which is very extreme picky eating, but a lot of families are facing situations like this, you're going to have to make meals that include one of those foods at every single meal. And so you have to find this balance um, of making sure there's some foods that your child feels comfortable with and also making the foods that you want and the foods that you want your child to eat. Yeah. I feel like that seems to be a common theme, like at least have something on the table that they're comfortable with, obviously that you guys like, and ever everyone's comfortable with. And if there's maybe like you were saying for the really picky eaters, if there's only five foods, switch up that comfortable food. So they're not getting the same thing every time. Right. Um, what would you say? And you know, it's hard because I know picky eaters, it's like, there's a difference between like kids who are really picky, right? Like maybe that list of five to 10 foods or kids who maybe just have picky eating tendencies. Um, but I feel like we use it so much more loosely, but Mm -hmm. let's just say for kids in general, what are your top tips for getting kids to eat vegetables? Sure. So the top one is serve the vegetables. Again, your child's not going to eat it if they've never seen it. So serve those vegetables. Um, find that and find the ones that they like, you know, if they like carrots and they don't like other things that can be, you know, serve those carrots, serve them regularly. Don't bring your child out on them, but find those things that they like, serve those. And then in the meantime, you can be introducing other foods. The other thing is, especially for little kids, adding a little bit of fun. You don't have to spend a ton of time on their lunches. You don't have to go look up ideas on Pinterest, but 
adding a toothpick. I, t- I call it toothpick magic. Put a toothpick in there. You would be amazed what children and adults will eat if they have a toothpick. And if there's a toothpick all the way already in it, you can also get some mini cookie cutters, things like that. So if you have cooked something and it's not too much effort, you can just, you know, add a little heart or a star or a teddy bear on there. And it gets kids eating. Once they start eating, it often helps them keep eating. Yeah. And it goes back to, I love that you said like adults too, right? Like those mini past hors d'oeuvres that have the toothpick in it. Adults are more likely to eat it too. And I think that's, that's a like what I always see is it's a great opportunity. If your family like maybe doesn't eat that many vegetables or you have one veggie and it's like the same typical veggie on the table, most nights having a toddler or a kid who can finally eat on their own it's an opportunity to also make your family healthier because maybe you want to offer at least two vegetables so they get more exposure. Um, and who knows, maybe cutting them into the fun shapes with the cookie cutter may get you know your husband to eat more vegetables. Right. So I think right. it's like just your perspective on it. Even like when you were saying before, Jennifer, like your perspective on, okay, my kid is going to dictate how much they eat. Like my job is just to serve it and just ch- making that tiny little change, um, can make a big difference. And with that perspective, I love Jennifer, your posts on how to talk to your kids about food and reframing things. So one of the ones, um, I really like that. I'd love for you to speak on is what to say instead of this is good for you, eat it. Like this is good for you. Just eat it. Right. Well, we know foods are many foods are good for for us, right? But if you think about it, if you have an extreme picky eater who only eats five foods, a food not on that list is not going to be good for that child because that child cannot eat it currently. If you think about food allergies, a nut, which is so nutritious for so many people, could be life-threatening for this child. So we need to adjust our thinking. If we're trying to say, these foods are good, these foods are bad. We are selling ourselves short and we are also setting ourselves up for a lot of angst. If we have a child who becomes a picky eater, or if we have a child who has an allergy, or if, you know, who knows what's coming down the road, right? Um, We need to adjust our thinking. Foods are not necessarily good or bad. They are foods. Now, so what do we tell our kids, right? Instead of saying, hey, this food is good for you. I want you to eat it. This food is broccoli. Your child is literally thinking in that moment, that is disgusting. It's disgusting. I don't know what's in it. I don't know how it tastes. I'm pretty sure I'm going to hate it, right? They're thinking all this stuff and you're sitting there saying, this is good for you. This is good for you. You're not setting yourself up for success, right? You're setting yourself up for a power struggle. You're setting yourself up for, you know, who knows what, but if you give yourself, your child, some actual information, they actually have a tool. Now they have some information that could be really helpful. If you say broccoli is green, green foods help you fight off sickness. If you say that to your child, you've given them a, a simplified piece of nutrition information that makes sense to them. They're learning the color green, you know, and of course this takes several years for them to learn their colors, but 
you are giving them that information. And even if you start when they're a baby, they're still hearing the words. They're still hearing your voice. It's still giving you something to talk about at the dinner table. Um, and they're growing into it and you have several years of practice. And if you're just jumping in, a lot of parents say, oh my gosh, I just, I just learned this and it makes so much sense to me and I want to start doing it. But for the past eight years, I've been telling my child foods are good or bad. It makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, you yourself as a parent are maybe, you know, 28, 30, 35 years old, and you've decided you wanted to change. So it's no problem to change the way that you talk and to model that change for your child. You're always going to be very influential for your child. And giving that them that information is actually setting themselves, setting them up for long-term information about their food, long-term, I guess, like totally blanking on the word here, but like something useful, you are giving them a tool to use for the rest of their life because they have it in their mind. Foods do things in my body. That is a core principle that I think everybody should know. Yeah. Versus that good food, bad food, which can also lead to disordered eating habits. And I, that's, it's funny, Jennifer, that's actually one question I always ask on my intake form for new clients is, do you view foods as good and bad? And it, it does, it creates like a whole other thought about foods versus just knowing like how they're fueling you, what they're doing for you. And that's so empowering. And I often find like, that's what I'm teaching adults, you know? So it's great if you can teach them as kids and they already know that and have it with them. If you're listening to this episode, you're already taking steps to ensure the health of you and your baby. And part of taking care of yourself might be taking a prenatal vitamin. Unfortunately, most prenatal vitamins do not contain sufficient amounts of DHA. An omega-3 fatty acid that is essential during pregnancy and the postpartum period for your baby's brain and nervous system development, and to support a healthy pregnancy, mood, and immunity for mom. Given that pregnant women are advised to limit their consumption of fish, taking a high-quality omega fish oil supplement like Nordic Naturals Prenatal DHA is often the best way to ensure your baby is getting beneficial omega-3s for growth and development. And we didn't forget about our vegan mamas. We offer a vegan prenatal DHA made from sustainable microalgae. Head to Nordic.com and use the code NaturallyWell15 for 15% off one of our prenatal DHAs. I want to go back, Jennifer, to other, do you have any other tips for people just to get their toddlers to eat more veggies? I know one you had, which I loved and I hadn't thought of was just not mixing them, like not mixing them into other foods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So toddlers, if you think about yourself, you can look at a piece of raw broccoli and a piece of cooked broccoli and a cook, a piece of undercooked broccoli. And you know what that each of those feel like in your mouth. And you actually have an idea of, of the taste. If you look at a line of blueberries, you know, as an adult, you're going to eat some and they're going to be delightful and you're going to eat others and they're going to be really sour. But as the adult, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to, I know that it's worth those delicious ones for me to eat the whole line of 10. Your child doesn't know this. Your child doesn't know this at all. They have have very little life experience. And so for them to put broccoli in their mouth, 
they don't they don't know how to predict what it's going to taste like, what it's going to smell like, what it's going to feel like. The same of a mixed dish. Some of it feels soft, some of it feels crunchy, some of it feels slimy. It's it can be very challenging for a toddler, for an older child, especially for picky kids to eat a mixed dish. Of course, if you have a, a child who loves mixed dishes, great. Keep keep on serving those keep as mixing. much as you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you have a child who suddenly is like, I don't want a mixed dish, that's why. They, they just are having trouble with their sensory system, just making sense of what's happening in their yeah. mouth. You know, like if you eat a piece of crunchy toast, it's just going to be crunchy. But if it's like toast with peanut butter and jelly, and hemp seeds or, you know, whatever your top your topping of the day is, that's going to be a little bit more stressful to them because they just don't know what's coming down the pike. So serving foods deconstructed is a classic thing that I teach. Um, and then also making sure they're soft, making sure they have some fat on them, adding that oil, adding that butter, adding that cheese, like whatever your, whatever your topping is that you like. All those things help toddlers eat foods. And also, and I always forget to mention this because it is so like ingrained in me, is showing your child what it looks like to eat these foods. You modeling is hands down the most effective intervention for a toddler eating. They're going to watch eating that broccoli. They may not eat it for a year. But they're going to watch you eat that broccoli every time you eat broccoli in front of them. And that is going to have an effect on them and their brain and their willingness to eventually try it. Do you find that, Jennifer, that's really important for, and right, like we have to be realistic. Most people are like coming home from work and there's a lot going on and maybe parents aren't ready to eat at 5.30 or 6. But I think that's where sometimes not having those family dinners, you miss out on the modeling. Like you can model in other ways, right? Or after, but that's one thing I've noticed in being at certain, like certain people's houses where I see like the kids eat before they don't get the opportunity to watch their parents eat those fruits and vegetables or try that chicken or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of us kind of get hung up on the family dinner. Like we hear yeah. so much about the family dinner. I, if you can do a family dinner, that's great. It's hard. Last <laughs> night, my family and I did not have a family dinner because my husband was with my son at soccer practice. And for some reason, they love it to go 45 minutes late. Um, and then, you know, I'm eating with my six-year-old, except I sat him down at the table five minutes before I was ready and he like plowed through his dinner by the time I got there. And so it was just, it was chaos. Nobody saw anybody else eat, but you know what? It's okay. It, it's totally okay. And if family dinners don't work for you, it doesn't mean that you can't model eating these foods. You can model eating them at breakfast on the weekends. Yeah. You can model them eating a snack. You can model them eating lunch on Saturday, whatever works for your family, take advantage of that. You don't have to do some sort of, you know, what people think of as the ideal in order to do a great job. That's it. There's so much stress 
around it. And even hearing, right? Like you hear all these recommendations everywhere and what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Are there any other tips for like just lessening the stress around dinner time? Like if you are, you're like getting home from work, you're dropping your bags and then it's immediately like, okay, got to get the kids meal on. And then obviously too, that you probably have to cook a meal for, you know, the rest of your family that's not eating early. Um, Have you found anything that works for you guys? Sure. So I think there's several kinds of stress, right? So there's the stress of cooking and then there's the stress of the meal itself. Yep. <laughs> there's the water that's been tipped over. And I know your, your child is probably, I don't know if they're quite at this phase yet, but there's a lot of water spilling. There's, oh, there's, just, wa- there's water spilling here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's, and, and that is just a part of the meal for many years. And you just have to get to this phase where you're like, okay, water spills at our dinner table or water spills at our breakfast table. That's just, that's just part of the meal. So I'm going to bring the paper towels to the, to the meal because that's what we need. So there's, there, there is the stress of the meal itself. And then there's the stress of making the meal. If you could do like food prep on the weekends, that's awesome. That's kind of a classic, Hey, you know, solve all your weekday problems by doing food prep on the weekends. I could never fit that in because I was like, I could do food prep or I could hang out with my children. Um, I'm a full-time working mom working outside the house. Right. And um, I, I can't. So, you know, it very rarely have I ever done food prep on the weekends other than making like one thing. Um, And so I think having a system, having, you know, uh, a, a, a rotation of things that you can do kind of quickly on your busy days. All these things can help. And I actually like wrote a meal plan for myself and we actually had that on our website. But I think what is so key is finding what does work for your family, what you can do quickly and sticking with that. A lot of times people say, oh, I can just like go out and get food. And my family falls into this as well. Even though we've had kids for eight years, my husband would be like, hey, dinner's not made. It's dinner time. Let's, you know, go grab something from Chipotle or whatever. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, this is 45 minutes. This, he's going to go there. It's going to take 15 minutes. He's going to come back. Everybody's going to be overly hungry. So like we think, or even, you know, even if you do fast food and you drive, you have to drive to the place. You have to drive through the thing. You have to order. You have to get home. You have to get the kids in and out of the car, which in and of itself, it can be, you know, a thing. And so it's not always faster. My ideal fast food is scrambled eggs. And breakfast for dinner. Yep. (laughs) We do eggs for dinner more night. I mean, up to once a week or sometimes even more, but it's truly fast. It's super fast to scramble eggs. So find your shortcut meal, plan on using that shortcut meal frequently and don't feel bad about it. Like it's not a compromise to serve your child canned soup and toast with peanut butter on it. That's, that's not a bad thing, period. It is great. It's good. You fed your family, you met your family where they were at and, and then you can move on. And you can serve whatever you want. 
the next day. So I think so much of it is our expectations and these sort of public health recommendations that we've heard. I'm a public health professional. I was trained in that. That's what my master's is in. And people often expect me to just be spouting public health recommendations. But the public health recommendation that has not gotten out there is one, how to reduce your actual stress making meals. Two, how to reduce the stress of feeding your child and being at that mealtime with them. And three, how to reduce the stress of so many public health recommendations that you cannot possibly, not possibly live out because there's so many and some of them are in conflict with each other. Yeah. There's no, there's no reality there. (laughs) Get enough sleep, get enough exercise, always eat dinner with your child. You know, make sure you have enough money to pay the rent you know, always pay your rent. I I mean, there's so many, there's so many things and you just can't do them all. And so we've kind of like dumped, we have dumped judgment on the parents all around the world and not given them any help to reduce yeah. these stresses, you know? So we can, you know, we can find ways to reduce our stress cooking sometimes, and, you know, maybe that is going out to eat or, or doing whatever you need to do. Um, but we can find ways to reduce those stresses and we can, you know, kind of let those public health recommendations fall down. I, I often like to imagine like an umbrella over my head and like all the parent guilt is just pouring down and you have to find ways to kind of let it roll off of you, even if you are getting splashed now and then. Um, And then the third is really, you know, that one of reducing your stress at mealtime. And that's really where we've come in and said, if we can reduce your stress at mealtime, you are going to have the energy and more energy to have more fun with your child, to be less stressed, and then also to have a little bit more time for feeding your child. And so that's where we've put effort into our courses and our new line of courses, which are super fun for parents and our, you know, our Instagram and our, our social media and our blogs, like everything is designed for parents to feel better about themselves. Like we can reduce our stress and we can feel better. And that's just something that's not happening enough. No, I, I I completely agree. And I have to say, Jennifer, you guys are doing such a good job. Like all of your posts I find are so helpful and nothing's ever judgy. It is like really just like taking that pressure off, which as humans, we naturally just put pressure on ourselves constantly. And it, it does. It, it even like, I feel like when I read some of them, it's like, I just breathe a little better. I'm like, okay, like there's a way out. Mm-hmm. In a way, like even just knowing how to talk to your child about certain foods, um, it's so helpful. And I was just thinking back to something you mentioned earlier about making every snack time along with meal times more like meals. So they're getting more opportunities in case like mid-morning snack or mid-afternoon snack is really more like their meal. Do you have any tips for like let's say they touch like one thing? at breakfast, but then keeping it and storing it so it can make it through to mid-morning snack or be offered at lunchtime. Sure. So if you have a picky eater and they were like stressed out by the snack, I don't recommend feeding them the same thing over and over and over because that's not going to be productive for anybody. Um, but we also want to reduce food waste. So as we're, 
sorry, I always recommend using um, what I call micro portions. So it's like one pea. If you don't think they're going to eat the peas, don't give them a whole cup of peas on their plate. (laughs) not, And you're going to end up eating a lot of peas off their plate, right? So give them one pea, give them a a teaspoon of something. Just give them a tasting portion. If they come back and they didn't eat snack and you had put it on their plate, you can save that. You can serve it later. You can add it to a dinner dish. You can eat it on a salad. Um, You can serve it the next day. We don't want to use this as a punishment for kids not eating, which is something that happens, but we do want to help kids. Uh, We do want to prevent food waste. And then we also want them to see it when they are hungry. Yeah, no, it's true. And even like, I feel like the little things of, let's say you like cut them apple slices or some avocado, like rub a little bit of lemon on there. Cause it is tough when you feel like you've, if you're in that position where right now you do feel like you're wasting food or, or you're just right. Like in a way, like the garbage can for the food. And you realize like, okay, I had like 10 snacks today because I was just eating all the leftover food. Um, so it's really helpful to know it's like, give a little, and then if they want more, you can always just keep adding more or offering more. Um, do you have any recommendations, Jennifer, for if a kid's going to school or daycare, how to like pack a meal or snack. So it is similarly reflected. Sure. Um, and this, this is also, you know, can be touching because sometimes you are subject to what the daycare sends. So let's mm-hmm. say you like serving your child table foods. Um, for example, we fed our kids a lot of table foods because that was like super easy. Um, although we didn't do, use any sort of like method or anything like that. I'm not a fan of like feeding rules. So that was like, not a, not a fit for me. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I, if I could just give my child some of our meal, that was ideal. And often dinner leftovers can make a great meal for a toddler the next day. They don't know what a dinner food is. They don't know what a lunch food is they are new to the world after all. And so you get to tell them, Hey, leftover chicken, that's breakfast food. Um, so that is a shortcut you cooked once for dinner. You're having the leftovers for lunch. Also, your child is having leftovers for their daycare lunch. Now, if you have a daycare and they're like, everything has to be pureed, or I only serve the food in the daycare and I make it then, Hey, you have your answer right there. Um, I don't understand why the food mill or like the baby food grinder has gone out of like the public eye. Because if you've ever seen a grinder or a food mill, you put some food in it and you grind it up and you've got like a, a textured puree. Um, that's often great for daycare. Um, these things are inexpensive and they're super convenient. You can stick them in the diaper bag, go absolutely anywhere you want. And if your kid can't eat the food, you just grind it up there at the table and it's, and then they, they have something, but you could do the same thing. You made dinner, throw through the food mill before daycare, you put a little, little container. My big issue was like the containers. I hate washing dishes. And so (laughs) there were so many containers, all these containers, like 
10 day containers from the day, these little dishes and Tupperwares and lids and like all this stuff. Um, and I was actually complaining to a, uh, to a coworker of mine at the time. And, and she said, oh, we don't do containers. We do bentos. And I was like, what is a bento? And so she's like, oh, it's just a container with dividers. And um, so I go back to my desk. I'm like, what is it? A bento, you know, what does that look like? And and I see this whole world of bentos where, um, and the tradition is, you know, from um, the Japanese culture. And of course, they have this incredible culture around that. Um, and kind of the idea has gone all over the world for obvious reasons, because it's so smart. You only have one container to wash and it's got, you know, little dividers in it. So we, we actually transitioned to that. Here's the food, um, one dish. And they also have little divided areas and that can be just a trigger. Oh, I have a protein food. Mm. Oh, I can put the, the fruits and the vegetables here. And I've made a balanced snack or a balanced meal. And I didn't have to think too hard. Yeah, no, it does make, it definitely makes life so easy. And it, you know, I feel like if you can, again, take like that pressure off, it can also be fun to like put you know, to think about what you're going to put in each little container. And if you have the time and you want to use that cookie cutter really quick, it you can try to, it's like that perspective of just making it fun for yourself and feeling good that like you're doing it for your child, you know, like that's, that has to feel good, especially if, you know, you have a stressful job and the rest of your day is a lot of stress. It's like taking that time, whether it's the night before or the morning of, and just reflecting that, like, you're preparing a meal for your child. And like, you should feel really good about that. Um, I want to Jennifer switch gears because I know we have to wrap up and just ask you what it's been like for you managing being a mom, working full-time and running your own business and how that's changed over the years. Sure. So, um, (laughs) I, Every once in a while I have something, somebody say, and this just happened yesterday, actually. Somebody's like, oh my gosh, you're doing it all. I was like, I am not. I'm not doing it all. And that's the key. Like, that is the key to your success as a parent to not do it all. And I, rem- I remind people that I did not clean the bathroom for an entire year. And you can be as grossed out as you want, but I had postpartum anxiety and depression. I had a baby and I had a job and I, um, had a baby again, that's like (laughs) double, right? Yeah. And I'm trying to take care of myself, right? All these things, like I didn't have any time or energy or desire to clean the bathroom. Now my husband, he's like, I have to remind you that I cleaned that bathroom a few times. I don't even remember that. Like just, it was just like a it was mess. It was something for a long time. My father-in-law one time came over. He cleaned the bathroom twice that year. And I think now some people would be absolutely mortified. I was so overstressed that I was not even mortified. I was just thankful to have a clean bathroom. And I think getting to that point where you can accept the gifts from other people <laughs> is, is a good one. Because when you're at your worst and you're most stressed, you really need that. And so for me, that has been key when I have had the opportunity to have help. Um, and, you know, my in-laws had flown in They're They're not from the area. And so we would only see them a couple times a year, but I was certainly grateful for that, you know, several times a year bathroom cleaning. But I, 
I think really for me, it was, um, I don't know, like one day at a time, you know, having the full-time job, that was not an option for us, but also taking advantage of every flexibility. Now I'm incredibly privileged to have a desk job, right? And I was at the time, this is a, a privilege that most parents don't have, but if you do have any sort of flexibility in your job, take them up on it. You know, if you can work from home and that's much more common now, but I was the one who asked, and I was the first person in my office to say, Hey, how often can I work from home? And for sure, I am going to do that because then I didn't have to, you know, drive to the office. So that was, that was part of it. Also, um, you know, I (laughs) thinking back, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that was so hard. (laughs) But then also, you know, I I didn't have my own business then. I just had a job. Eventually, I kind of added in Instagram, right? I had a one-year-old. I had a three-year-old. I started, of course, that wasn't that big of a thing. It was just kind of a a hobby. Not that I had a lot of hobby time, (laughs) but I was already making the cute lunches. I was like, I'll take pictures of these, take them on Instagram, see what happens. And then it got more complicated because I was doing a lot of Instagram and also working full-time. And I, it eventually got to the point of where I was like, you know, I can't, I can't do both of these things. So I worked super hard. My husband finally finished his PhD program. I, as soon as he did that, I started um, really kind of ramping up to be able to solve some of my audience's problems that they've been asking for help with. And that came in the, you know, the form of the meal plan and the picky eating course and that sort of thing. And I, I got to the point where I was like, okay, I think I can quit my job. And now I was the primary income earner for our family. And I wasn't going to put my kids at risk by, by following my dream. And so I waited until I had like matched my income and that sort of thing. And then I kind of took, took the big leap in 2020. Yeah. Didn't know what was happening, what was coming down the pike. Right. Um, so I quit my job in January and then, you know, quarantine hit mid-March. And it's been, it's been a trip, right? Having the kids home full time. We lived in a two-bedroom apartment that we had lived in for years and years. And um all of a sudden, oh my gosh, Jennifer! <laughs> had, all of a sudden, we had everybody working from home. We were making it in that two-bedroom apartment because I had been the only person working from home mm-hmm. there. My husband had a job to go to, and my kids, you know, went to daycare and preschool, and we had this little thing going. We were not in the house all together all that often, and then we were all in the house all the time, both my husband and I trying to work. And that was just, that was, that was more than we could really handle. <laughs> no, I can't imagine. It's really, it's like when you talk to parents, cause I, I was not pregnant and pregnant with, but I did not have like a child during quarantine. And it is, you talk to parents that had children during quarantine and people without children. And it's like, it's a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. Like it's not even close to being the same. So I, I can't imagine. Um, yeah. but Jennifer, this has been so great. I do have a few. So we end every episode with a little rapid fire Q and a, so our audience can get to know you better. So first thing that pops to mind, 
what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Um, great question. I do like a good, like five minute breathing meditation thing to kind of take the stress levels down when I can. Yeah. No, it's so nice. Um, coffee or tea? Tea, please. What's your favorite tea? Well, my favorite is Assam black tea, but my body does not like caffeine right now. So decaf black tea. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you on the decaf. Um, Okay. This is my favorite one. And hopefully it's yours too as dietitian, but what's your favorite home cooked meal? And it doesn't have to be something you make just like the one that has that memory makes you feel good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um. I know I should like know this right off, but <laughs> I'm like not one for favorites. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think like, what, I guess my what, what meal or like what meal gets you excited for dinner? Like what, what dish would get you excited for, dinner? you know, I recently had chicken Parmesan with green beans or like asparagus Ooh. or something like that. It was amazing. I thought this is the best meal I've had in like five years. <laughs> I love that. And that's like totally comforting too. And like, but also, yeah, it's, it's, I just love like whenever you get that. And it's funny, like people would say like, oh, what's your favorite home cooked meal? And I'm like, don't hate on this, but it's like, I love just like a sweet potato, some type of green veggie and like either a really good piece of salmon or chicken with crispy skin. Like, you know, just like basic, but it's that it's whatever just like excites you for dinner makes you feel good after. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. Um, we'll let our listeners know if they have any other questions to reach out and I can get in touch with you, but this has been so helpful, not only for me, but I know for all of our parents out there too. Well, thanks so much for having me, Kate. It has been a delight. From this week's episode, see if you can use some of the tools Jennifer shared to talk to your children about healthy food in a new way that will help educate them and make it more likely that they'll actually eat it. Thank you for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can catch some of our episodes of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. If you want to know more about me, follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I typically live on my stories, providing a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.